My name is Brian, and today is Monday, July 10th, 2023, and this is another episode of Lots to Talk About. And uh, this is another pre-recorded episode that's releasing while we are on our July road trip. So, uh, yeah, questions in the questions in the comments. I'll circle back and check them. If there's anything very important, I'll be sure to forward them on to the guest. Otherwise, uh, enjoy the show. But my guest today lived paycheck to paycheck as a single dad, struggling with budgeting and money. His life hit a turning point in 2001 with a major health issue and a suggestion from a friend. His life is completely different now, 20 years later, here to discuss the past, what changed and what he's got going on now. I would like to welcome two lots to talk about from Give a Heck Financial, which I love the name, uh, Dwight Heck. How we doing, man? Fantastic, Brian. Thanks for having me on, brother. For sure, for sure. Um, I mean, what a perfect name for uh, for spinning into a catchy business name. I love it for sure. Uh, but Dwight Heck, who are you, man? Who the heck are you? Could you introduce yeah. yourself to uh, to my audience, and then uh, I would really love to discuss kind of your life, basically. Sure, no problem. Um, I was actually born in a small community, and just to talk about the brand part for a second, my last name is Heck. Most people use that word on a daily basis around the world it's used they literally say it's used million millions of times a, a minute part of me um just because it's used as a slang and you know i'll get into that more detail later but i ended up having somebody tell me a brand expert actually out of the u.s said like why aren't you utilizing your last name because i had <laughs> i had a different company name which i still have it's my incorporated company why don't you set up a different name and build a brand around it? And this all happened during the pandemic. But let's start a little bit earlier than that. When I was, I grew up in a small farming community about uh, an hour outside of the capital city of Edmonton, is which is where I live now in Alberta, Canada. And, you know, 10,000 people. My dad owned a farm equipment dealership. Um, one of 18 kids. My mom was one of nine and we were told, we're, we only have to give you the basics of life, Dwight. Like, this is what life is about. We need to give you shelter, food, and love, give you the basics. Anything you want outside of that, you got to earn. You got to work for. So at a very young age, 12 years of age, I went out and got myself a paper route. Plus, I helped somebody else out with their route. And on top of that, I started working for my dad off and on in his implement dealership. Because if you want stuff, you got to earn it. And it taught me a lot. It was really being a paper boy was my first entrepreneurship. I actually talk about it in my book. It was, uh, you know, you go up to the door. It was back in the old tear the tickets off the off the book. And, and somebody would pay you for, you know, you'd collect every, every couple of weeks or every week or every month, depending on what they preferred. Well, there would be people that would... Uh, the curtain would come back and they'd look through and see a young boy standing there like ding dong waiting to get paid. And I was such a kind kid that I'd, I'd go sometimes two, three months before I'd finally cut them off. And they'd owe me the day. paper boy. Yeah. Uh, it, would, it happened all the time, brother. I couldn't oh, believe yeah. it. And it taught me the cold, hard reality. Like people, well, how is that an entrepreneurship? Well, I had to keep books. I had to collect money. 
I had to get my own checking account at 12 years of age. My dad took me to the bank that in, in the downtown of uh, Camrose. I had to pay the, the, you know, the national paper in Alberta, one of them called Edmonton Journal. I had to pay for my papers. I had to go out and every single type of adversity, it didn't matter. You know, I had to suck it up. I had to perform. And there was times where I didn't collect enough money, but yet I owed money. So I had to learn how to save on top of that. I had to have a, a you know, my own form of line of credit that I created yeah. all myself, my own buffer, right? So I ended up fast forward, I ended up starting when I was about 13, not very long after. I had the paper route for a few years. About 13, my dad started saying, Hey, you're coming to the shop. It's summertime, Dad. Well, that's okay. You, you know, I need your help. And he had a big operation at one time. It was, you know, when he was still in business, it was one of the largest in, in Canada and one, and it was the largest in Western Canada for many years. So busy place. And I'd listened to him dealing with farmers. You want to talk about awesome customers, but also a pain in the butt customer. Love you farmers. Most of my relatives are farmers. Um, I love them to pieces, but too much rain, not enough rain. Too much sun, not enough sun. There's no in between because they're dealing with an unpredictable mother nature, right? right? So, and I learned how my dad, through my dad, how to be a people person, how to be that relationship builder. I didn't realize all this, just so you know, Brian, until I got older. When I, was, when I was younger, I was like most young kids, pissed off and thinking, I want to be with my friends. I want to go and do this. They're going to the lake. I'm working. And, you know, initially it wasn't, by the time I was, by the time I was 14, I couldn't, it was every day, go hard, go home. Okay. We're going home to have supper. Okay. After supper, you need to come back to the shop with me. We got to do all the part cards. We got to count all the parts. We got to get the order ready for me to call it in first thing in the morning. Our the farmers are counting on us. And that's what my dad was very service orientated, very kind, very matter of fact, he would be the type of person that would tell you how it is with a sense of humor, right. All right? He had ability to, to shake that, you down and didn't even realize it. I think that's a uniquely Canadian thing. I actually grew up, um, my dad's, my dad was born in Niagara Falls, Canada with a oh, American, okay. with American mother. So he has dual citizenship. And then we lived uh, mm -hmm. about two hours south of Canada, uh, two hours south of Niagara Falls. And then I went to school at the University of Buffalo. So I spent a lot of time up there since the drinking age was younger. Uh, we would just hop across the border and spend tons of time in Canada. Um, I think that's a uniquely Canadian uh, aspect that people can just give you any news in the world with just some a little bit of a smile and some humor <laughs> and it makes it a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. And you can literally, like I was saying, you could shake somebody down and they literally... You Thank know, you. <laughs> yeah, and I and I tell people all the time, even in my practice today, you know, I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for 30 plus years. And I don't know if you can agree with this or not. And we'll get back to the story. But this is a really good segue. Wordsmithing is important when you're dealing with people, with humankind, mankind, because you can, that's why there, I tell people, that's why there's something called a thesaurus. And they'll go, what? They don't even know what that is, or they never paid attention in school. Well, basically, listeners that are uh, listening to this, you can say something with, with a specific word or a phrase that invokes emotions in somebody a different way 
yet you can say it a different way and it means the exact same meaning, but the words are different and they evoke again, different meanings. And if, when you learn to become a wordsmith, you can get across your point in a very effective way and get the result and manipulation. Yes, you're hearing me right. Manipulation of others is not bad if it's done in a kind way. Right. And that's the problem in our world. We, we think, well, that person's manipulating me from the moment you wake up and take, you know, step out of your bed until you go to bed at night, you're getting manipulated. You watch yeah. TV show, you listen to a podcast, you read a book, you talk to a friend, you deal with a client, you deal with family, you're being manipulated. And it's not bad. That's what life is. We're, we're wanting to share information and we're wanting to help people. But are you doing it effectively the right way? Right. So that's, I think, that I think it's a veil. It, it's definitely, definitely a, uh, a, a huge skill, um, both being able to do it, but being able to recognize it too. Uh, I think once you learn the skill of, of speaking, uh, I was a bartender for a decade. That's what I did. That's how I made money was talking to people. And the better I was at it, the better, the more money I made. Uh, so I learned very quickly to be able to have a conversation with someone like that and read what they wanted to talk about. Cause it didn't matter what I wanted to talk about. I didn't have the money to put over the bar. But once I learned to to kind of do that, you also see it. So I'm not saying you're immune to it, but you recognize it and you can you can almost draw intentions from people the way they're speaking. OK, what does he want? What is he trying to get me to think about? And it helps you make better decisions, I think, as a consumer when you're good at doing it as 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 a practice. Yeah. And your self-awareness of it is important. Right. Like you're saying as a bartender, you could get in, you could pick, pick up the cues of what was going on with that person. And the thing is, though, is do you care? Right. right? So even if there's a form of manipulation and they buy more alcohol, you still had to care. Now, is it a level of care that you'd have like when you're listening to a family or a friend? No, there's a difference. There is a difference of care but you're still connected. You're present in that moment. You can have all the noise of the bar, but if John or Sally are talking to you at the bar and they're sharing something with you, you're present in that moment because you're a kind dude. You're, you want to, you want to effectively let them know that somebody cares for you and you in a very short period of time, you can meet a stranger that can figure it out and know, like, and trust you in a very short period of time. And I'm not talking like trust, like they're going to lend you money. I'm talking right. trust where they're, where they're going to, you know, this, this person's pretty cool. This Brian dude. I can, yeah, I can tell him here. something. I can talk to him. I, yeah, I can, you can have I a can conversation. Guard, I can let my guard down a little bit. Um, I had a ball. I also had an advantage too, is I'm, I'm a huge polymath. And just like learning about anything and everything. If you want to talk to me about um, how widgets go together in a doohickey, um, man, lay it out there. If that's what you know. And that's why I love interview shows. I can bring anybody on. I'm generally interested in hearing who you are, what you went through, and, and, and where you're at now, and what you learned along the way. And that's not hard to express in a conversation once you learn how to ask questions. And once you learn how to recognize what somebody actually wants to talk about and ask the questions about it, once you're asking questions about something that somebody wants to talk about, that's the key. You got yeah, it. Of course. Yeah. And then listening, 
because so many of us in this world don't, you can be present in a conversation like you and I are having right now. And you can have in the, in your mind what you want to respond based on the conversation. But most of us stay so fixated on what we want to respond that we're not present in what Brian's saying. And I, I think one of the biggest things that I've worked on over my lifetime is becoming a really good listener. Um, so when people articulate things to me and they're telling me a story, whether it's family, friend, and especially my clients, I'm listening and I have mental notes and I'll actually repeat things back to people. So you're saying this or next time I see them, oh, how is this going? And people are shocked. I had a call last night with somebody actually out of Hawaii and he was telling me all this stuff. And I said, oh, what about this person, that person? And he looked kind of shocked. And I said, I, said, I know it's it can be disturbing because somebody actually listens to you. <laughs> all right. I was teasing him, right? Because he's he's a great guy. And he goes, well, yeah. He says, you actually do follow along. And, and But you know what? That's a, that's, that's a learned skill. It's not something because we're taught to always be it be the person that's the brightest shining star in a room or in a conversation. We're not taught to be the person that listens, that's engaged, that can actually be present listening to Brian, yet still hold their thought process and keep a flowing conversation. People are going, oh, that sounds exhausting. You know what? Initially, it can be when you're figuring it out, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. Especially, especially in this situation where we're like, I can be off, I could be off the screen. I just, I'm, I jot notes. I, I, uh, I, I want to listen. And especially since I've asked you here to tell your story, I didn't, I didn't, yeah. I didn't ask you here to listen to my story. My listeners know this, my story. <laughs> I got notes all over the place. This is a podcast I recorded for myself yesterday. I color code everything. I've got, <laughs> there's not a page I don't have some form of notes on because it keeps me on track because. I know I can. Uh, oh, look, a butterfly. I can get it. <laughs> get easy. Right? Thought, so, that polymath thing where I want to learn about everything. Uh, somebody says something in a in a chat room or a group somewhere. I'm like, oh, I should go look at that. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I have to like turn on. So. I've lost Shaking. you. Yeah, we we use uh, Starlink and it, it comes in and out a little bit. Oh, so okay, okay, it, that's fine. It might happen like three times this hour. I'm not sure. That, that's okay. <laughs> I am familiar with Starlink. But so back to that. So I had the paper route, worked for my dad. And we were always, you know, button heads. But he was teaching me lessons. It wasn't until I was in my 20s that I actually had my my own first business like brick and mortar business that I realized how much he taught me and how much I underappreciated it. And I'm not the only person that will tell you that when they work for their parents or work for somebody else that they just don't get it. They don't get what they're being taught is a, is a structure of how to treat people, how to run business. Cause my dad was a very, very successful businessman. So, you know, I got to an age where we parted ways and he wanted me to take over the business. And I was like, no, I don't think so. I can't do this. I, I don't have the patience like you actually I had just as much patience as him. I just I, I just I wanted to spread my wings and I moved to the capital city of Edmonton and I decided to go to school. I was, you know, after 
first off, though, I met a man, I, I got a job and I was installing alarm systems and I, he's, I didn't have any technical training. I was just taught by him. He was very, he owned a, one of the largest firms in Alberta and I was installing Cardac systems, closed circuit, you know, cameras. I was installing high level alarm systems, pulling wires to the special high, you know, hard situations, putting in advanced alarm systems um, for fire and stuff. And he taught me all this stuff and he says, you should go to school. And I went school because I had already gone into computer system technology at a technical college here in the capital. But it was I, I, I was that butterfly thing. I couldn't sit still and it, it bored me, even though I was good at it in high school. It bored me. So I said, OK, I'm going to go back to school. And he says, well, when you graduate, I'll hire you. And the reason I mentioned that is there's a story behind that. Um, I ended up going to this technical college for electronics engineering so instead of going to university and, and spending four years learning two thirds of useless stuff and a third of practical stuff, they stick to mostly practical, right? There's theory, but it's all hands on. And I spent two years um, at a place called Nate in Edmonton and started with 200 people. By the time the first week started, there was 185 of us. By the time two years was passed, there was 18 of us that graduated. And three of those 18 were on the what we called the three-year program instead of the two-year program because they had failed classes and stuff. So I was one of 50. Was it, was it difficult or was it oh, just it there was, was no people to stick no, through? No, it? it was difficult. It was extremely difficult. The level of math you have to know in, in electronics engineering and the different control systems, the different formulas, the circuits, because that was back still in the 90s where you had to actually know how to build the circuit, like build the board. We had to build the board from scratch. We had to be able to build circuits. We weren't dealing with all the surface mount stuff that they have today. We had to learn how everything function and work. So it was a very high level math. Um, I got tutored. I won't, I won't hide that from anybody. But the difference to me and the other person that quit is I'm tenacious. I don't give up. Right. And through that period of time, I got married and I had a kid too, <laughs> right? That two year period. So the difference is, is what do you want out of life? Are you a person that, that as soon as you hit a little bit of bump in the road, you skin your knee, you quit, yet right around the corner is success. Just like light, light doesn't bend around a corner. Success doesn't hand you the, and say, oh, you're going to be successful next year, Brian. Right. You know, slug it out. You know, you can do it, brother. You can do it, right? So I ended up uh, finishing that program, worked for a certification body. And that certification body was having some challenges to work on their mainframe systems that tied back to head office in Eastern Canada. And the company that was hired for this, this uh, Canada-wide company wasn't going to show up for, I believe it was seven to 10 business days. And I overheard them talking about it. And I said, hey, I got, you know, I got computer background. I've been playing around with computers since I was a young kid. I've taken them apart. I've rewired them. I've done all this stuff. I can figure it out. Are you sure? I said, absolutely. Well, what are you going to do it? Well, obviously, I work in your lab here. I'm a certification person that does certification testing for the standards. You know, obviously, I'll have to do it in the evenings. Give me the books. Well, they brought them into the lab, these big honking books on this <laughs> IBM mainframe and what needed to be, you know, and I had no clue. 
So I proceeded over the next 48 hours to learn this information. And then I went in over two evenings and I did all the work they wanted. I set up these customized workstations. I pulled cables, the specialized cables that I had to custom bail the ends myself. I'd never done. And I did it all after hours. And when I was done, I had them a bill it was about a third of what they were paying. Cause what did I know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it worked, and it worked the first time. They would always have people cut these guys come back and they'd have terminals that wouldn't work. And, and then, so they ended up saying, we want you to be our computer guy. I said, well, it's not going to ca- cause problems. So well, that's okay. The guy that run the Western Canada office here in Edmonton said, I don't care. I want our guys are needing stuff that works. Do your job during the day. You have access at night. The security company will know you can have access on the weekends and they're bred the, the tenacity of me to not give up, to learn things, to help others, to help my family. And I ended up getting their computer contracts. I helped them. I sold them their first laptops that they ever had. I got custom cases built for them for their, their, their traveling um, certification specialists. I set up and interconnected their mainframe to IBM PC, the P- first PCs. I figured out how to do it for them. It had never been done. And maybe by other firms, but never been done for them or anybody that I knew of in the city. Just a very tenacious guy. I was only there 11 months. I had to quit because I started getting side contracts and I was so busy. I couldn't keep up. Right? People nice, found it. Nice. So I brought him, I brought on a partner, my brother-in-law, and we bought out another, we bought out a computer company that had a service arm, had a consulting arm, and it had a service and a front retail computer company. Um, and we bought that with the money I'd made in that nice. year, right? Nice. Oh yeah. So, and so I was there eleven months. Started this computer company, and fast forward to so much competition, but I ended up starting to build custom CAD stations, design stations for the oil industry for for engineers in the oil industry, and I was the first person in Canada to be certified that wasn't a big player to do it, like Hewlett Packard or Compact or IBM. Right. I was building certified custom workstations from scratch, certifying myself because I had the knowledge, got approved for it, had all the equipment in, in, my, in our lab where we built stuff. And yeah, I just kept, I'm just, just I'm, I'm a person like you that wants to learn, wants to know it. I would stay up for days figuring out things that people said you'll never figure out. Or, well, that's the know. thing. That's the thing. You were saying the tenacity. You were saying you had that tenacity. And um, when you were talking about going to school and, and starting with 200 and going to 18 and the people that give up along the way, I think the people that make it realize somebody learned this before. Like, why can't I learn it? Like, there's got to be a way that I can learn this. It's not impossible. Somebody learned it. Somebody did it before me. Um, if it's been done, I can do it. I just need to get there. You have to have the willingness to be able to get there, but it's never impossible. I mean, some things are, some things are physically impossible or, you know, but learning something, you can get it. Oh, it's just the ability to accomplish and achieve is based on tenacity. It always is that word for me. It's always the, the fact, like I look at some of my kids that are so successful, it's because they never give up. And they said, well, that's because you taught us that dad by example. And guess what? My dad taught me it by example. 
And his dad before that running a farm with 18 kids, you know, like there is tenacity there too, to not, you know, go cuckoo. But at the end of the day, I learned a lot from that experience, but fast forward, I ended up closing down the retail side because all of a sudden there was, we had Best Buy here. We had, we had future shop, which is another giant chain and I'm competing against them selling inferior products. Right. But trying to educate the consumer, right? The fact that I'd hand deliver the computers and set them up and configure them, even to a residential retail customer, I did it. You bought a computer, I brought it to your house. I unboxed it, I set it up. I spent an hour to two hours with you teaching you stuff. And that wasn't worked into the price. There wasn't a lot of margins on hardware. And I ended up closing it down and going full-time into, into my computer consulting side of the business and working for um government working for like to the to the heads of of uh the city of edmonton for the police department for the province i was very tenacious i was the guy that they would bring on so eventually they'd hire me to take over and run their it departments to clean them up to make them run more efficiently on the help desk side or their networks because i was i was also um I also had my GX certification, which is a certification I got out of the U.S., did it online because I couldn't do it any other way as an Internet security specialist. So I was very highly trained by choice and knew what I was talking about, not because all of a sudden I woke up and I was perfect. It was because trial and error. Keep on working it out. Keep on working it out. Oh, the success is around the corner. Don't quit. And that's how I've treated my whole life. So I ended up doing that. Um, but in 2001, just shortly after um, September 11th happened, that tragedy, September 11th, I was at a dinner party and the the guest, I was a guest there and it was my friend's birthday. I still remember the day. I still remember the experience and the, and the discomfort of what I went through. I'm sitting there and she starts giving me crap. And I said, what's wrong? quit winking at my friend because there was a girl sitting across, right? Single girl. I was a single guy. I had gone through, uh, I was already divorced. Um, Single dad, right? Joint custody at that point in time in my life before I got them full-time custody. But That's another story. And I ended up um, saying, I'm not winking at her yet. And then her, her husband said, Dwight, yes, you are. And he was my best friend. So I got up, went into the bathroom, and my whole right side of my face was, was paralyzed. My eye wasn't blinking. And I and I went out, and I, I said, I'm sorry, something's wrong with the side of my face. And they thought I was joking. They thought, you know, I was just being a jokester because that's the type of person I am. And I held the eyelid closed. I didn't do much about it. The next morning, I had a friend of mine rush me to emergency because now I was getting pain. I had severe pain in my head and stuff. And I ended up getting seen by a neurologist, getting a bunch of testing, a CAT scan to find out that I had something called Bell's palsy, mm-hmm. which is a paralysis of a nerve along the side of your head and it paralyzes and you, and you can get it in different stages. They immediately put me on a drug regimen. Thank goodness I got it caught soon enough. Um, there is some, some specific side effects that people that know me before and now can tell like an eye doctor sitting i can go to a brand new eye doctor and he can tell i had bell's palsy by the way that my eyes are and and a little bit of a droop 
And that taught me a lot. I couldn't drive for a few months and I didn't know if I wanted to go back in the computer industry. My doctor, the neurologist was saying, you're too personable with your business. You take on stress too much. And you've told us what your business is like, the fact that you'll work four or five days in a row without sleep. And I would, and I'm not exaggerating. I'm not tenacious of a guy that would, even when I was still married, my wife, when I was married, would bring me shirts to where I or had my office location, a clean shirt, because I literally, if I was lucky, would catch an hour of sleep on a, on the couch on the front in the where the receptionist was. Most times I was wouldn't even sleep. And I go days like that, unhealthy stuff, right? Which caused part of the reason my Bell's palsy, my resistance was low. Well, not enough sleep is so important as a side note. You know, it's just, but I, I wasn't going to give up. So I worked hard all the time. And uh, the Bell's palsy knocked me on my butt. And I decided, what am I going to do? These professionals are saying, you got to quit the computer industry. Well, February of 2002, a buddy of mine reached out and said, hey, you're really good with people. You're a good relationship builder. You've, you know, you got the, the, the basics that somebody can work with. We think you should get into the finance industry. And I thought, are you on? You're sniffing glue is what I told him. I said, are you kidding me? Why would I want to get into the finance industry? And all my experiences prior to that had been with people that were very transactional when I was dealing with them in regards to insurance or investing. It was all transactional. There's no relationship. It was press hard, three copies. Here's your product. Talk to you never. There was no relationship. Right. And I said, I thought, well, let me think about it. Why don't you meet how, the head How are you with money at this point? Like, is this is this something that he was like, oh, this guy's got it down pat. So finance makes perfect. I was sense. making I was just I was making six figures at the time, and I was living from paycheck to paycheck. I was broke as sin. Like I couldn't. I I literally as like most people in the world today, and and you'd be shocked. There's, the stats would floor you that you know. Most people, not in Canada and the U.S., 91 people out of 100 or 91% of the population are dead or dead broke at the age of 65. So they either didn't make it or they're just broke and they can't afford anything because nobody ever taught them the rules of the money game. And that, that feeling of having more month, more days in a month than having money is a real thing that causes health issues. It causes marital breakdown. It's the number one reason for marital breakdown. It causes fights. It causes addiction issues. It, it, the list goes on. Not understanding the rules of the money game and inflows and outflows is a huge problem. And I didn't have a clue. And he did. He said that to me. He says, you know what? And by the way, we'll train you and we're going to work on you first because you need help. And I remember him saying those words, you need help. And if he wouldn't have been a friend of mine, because this guy that called me was the guy that got me into the alarm industry. He was the guy that recommended I get into um, going to electronics engineering. He's been a mentor of mine for over 30 years. He's gone through different, different evolutions of an entrepreneurship, very smart guy. And he had gotten into the finance world himself because he was having health issues. And I basically said, okay, I'll think about it. Went back and took a couple small computer contracts for consulting for the wheat board and a few other people. And I just wasn't feeling it. My passion had died for it. I was good at it, but my passion, it was just like I was on that hamster wheel of life. Like most people don't realize, go to work, go home, get paid, even though it was my own business. And I, was, I wasn't an employee, I was a consultant. 
I wasn't happy and I was, wasn't sleeping properly. I had joint custody of my kids and I just, I wasn't even present with them like I should have been. So well, you're all working of a sudden, and I, I mean, I, I listened to your story real, just before you go on. I listened to the way you were saying how much you worked and how much you put into it, how much you cared about it and all the time you put on. And it's that hamster wheel, like you said, because every time you step on it, you go a little farther on the other way. Um, I need this or I don't have enough money for that. So I got to work a little harder. Well, I worked a little harder, so I should reward myself. You know, it's that work harder to stay backwards. <laughs> well, how many hamster wheel? <laughs> most people, that's a good way to put it. Most people forget. So we all have goals, unintentional goals. Most people do not. And I talk, I have a chapter in my book that just talks about how to goal set properly, things that I wish I would have been taught. Most people don't know how to have a goal. And then along the way of going to get that goal takes you a, a day, a week, a month, a year, 10 years. We forget there's a journey going on. So when I was working my butt off, six-figure earner, very high, highly touted in the IT community of Edmonton, sought after to work for people, not initially. Again, I was earned. It was earned. I learned it. I didn't just, I was, I'm not bragging. It's a reality that my tenacity got me to that point. But the biggest thing is, is people just don't grasp the fact that the hamster wheel of life is because we forget to enjoy the journey of life. Right now, Brian, you and I are talking. This is the present. One minute from now is the future. Am I present in this one moment talking to you? Am I enjoying that journey? Can I think about this later on today and look back at the past and have a fond memory of it? That's enjoying the journey, you know, unpacking things, learning to have appreciation or, you know, gratitude, being grateful. I have developed and coached people on it, things that I was have learned that I utilize in myself every single day so that I'm grounded in the moment. I'm grateful for what I have. I'm enjoying the journey. So I don't do that five, six days of working and thinking that I'm the man, you know, I need to work harder and everybody's looking at me. I can't disappoint people. The number one person you don't disappoint in this world is yourself because right. you can't serve people long-term if you don't serve yourself. And I was prime example of that with that health problem. Right. Yeah. So anyway, the fall of, or pardon me, the summer of 20, 2002, I ended up reaching out and I said, Hey, you know, I want to write that exam, whatever that thing is. You told me I have to write to be certified to start my, cause there was multiple exams, multiple right. certificates. I want to get the first one done. Okay. Well, I'll come pick up the books and you know, what do I do? Well, you reach out to this number to the provincial authority. You can say this is where you're going to write your exam when you're finally ready. And I said, okay, I'll be there to get the books. It was a Thursday. I remember it distinctly. I called that number. I give them my credit card over the phone and I booked to write my exam on Monday. And we're talking, we're talking the books, no word of a lie. Well, there's probably 600 pages of eight and a half by 11, both sides thick manual that i had to read plus a smaller is that, one is that like the series seven test in the u.s is that do you know have you heard of that it's it, yeah that I'm, I'm, fam I'm familiar i'm familiar with your series because like, you have 66 i believe it is or series yeah. six you have so you guys have way more levels of complexity than we do but yes there's uh, 
you know, I ended up over the years, got my certifications for compliance officer, branch manager, um, critical illness and health. Like I went and got all, but this was the initial stages of being able to do investing and sell insurance, right? Life insurance. So it's similar, but so I had my kids that weekend. It was my weekend of the joint custody. So I went to Blockbuster. Have ever, anybody ever heard of Blockbuster? Netflix oh, yeah. didn't exist back then. And I I don't know how many movies I rented. There was the cheap section where you paid a dollar and you got them. And I bought some of the newer movies. I bought, I must have rented at least 12 to 15 movies. And throughout the weekend, starting from when I got them Friday, I started plugging in tapes into the old VCR and I was studying. I have a kid on my lap because they were really young and I had my books. They'd go to sleep. I'd study. I dropped them back off because it was just I only had them for the weekend on Sunday evening. And I started diving into the books even harder. I never stopped studying until eight o'clock the next morning. Never slept. Had to be at that provincial office at 830. Went in and wrote it and passed it. And right. as a one thing I missed when I picked up the books from the dude on the on the Thursday, I went in and seen him and I said, he said, so he says, uh, yeah, he says, in a few months from now, you'll go right. I said, a few months. I'm right Monday. And his eyes popped out. He said, you, you're insane. You're not even, you're not going to pass. I said, well, what makes you say that? Well, we've got like 40, 50 agents here and they, you know, nobody's most, a lot of people fail the first time and you're not going to be able to do it. I said, watch me. That's what I said to him. Watch me. I love being challenged. So I, and I, and so I ended up writing it Monday. They did, I didn't get the permanent certificate. I got a temporary thing saying I passed with my mark and, you know, so I could take it in because then I had to go through the process, applying for the license, getting, you know, insured and stuff like, like liability insurance and stuff so I could start. And I walked into his office and I had a deadpan face like, and he goes, oh, don't worry. He says, you know, I, I thought you're putting too much pressure on yourself. He says, you'll pass it the next time pass it next time what i gotta rate it twice i already passed it and it's, again he had this deer caught in the headlights he says bullshit he says to me <laughs> i had him the piece of paper and then he grabs me calls me out and he says everybody yells and they're all coming out of the offices and he said sorry if i interrupted anybody's client calls dwight got the books on thursday passed the exam today and he had his kids all weekend what is your problems <laughs> so he said to him because he was a he was a redneck Albertan and he was just like, what the hell is your guys' problem? This guy here's got, got five kids at home and he, and he goes and passes the exam. And that was the start of my career. I, yeah. within, within six weeks, I, I, I uh, took till September. So this was July took for till September, the 19th of September, 2002, I was officially licensed and I, and I, quit computer consulting altogether except for a few side jobs for people that I've really felt loyal to because I believe in loyalty and the rest of them I give up to other people I trusted. Right. So I didn't leave anybody hanging. I'm not that type of dude either. And six weeks into getting trained, I fired my trainer because he was transactional. The thing I did not want, the reason I didn't want to go into that industry and I started making phone calls. I started going to different offices and asking people their experiences and asking questions like you talked about, the good questions. You get the right results, right? And I ended up the first year, 
So from September to September 2003, I made like 8,900 bucks as a commission, right? Total. I was, remember, six-figure earner. I was hurting. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out this budget thing because I know I needed to understand inflows and outflows. And so I started focusing more on that and relationships and personal development, which I'd already started with my friend that got me into electronics, you know, convinced me to get into electronics engineering introduced me to magic of thinking big and how to win friends and influence people and stuff like that. These different personal development books, but I really didn't take them serious. Well, at this point in time I did, I really wanted this for my family. Plus my back was against the wall and I'm a, like a wild animal. I lash out and I just, I'm going to figure this damn business out. So by from September until February, I worked my butt off and I went from 8,000 commission. And in that short period of time, I made over $140,000 in commission. I became, you, fi I was you figured the, it out. You, yeah. you looked at it and said, this isn't, this isn't working, obviously. Um, I got to do something. And you have that mindset, just like when you dove into the manual and just like when you taught your other stuff, I'm going to teach myself how to do this because this is kind of what I want to do. I mean, I think after a year, you've, you kind of, realize I can do this and I'm going to do it different than other people. Um, that trainer firing the trainer. Uh, I went into uh, a little bit of insurance at one point. I think, I think anybody that's kind of hopped jobs or been laid off uh, it's the easy button, but it's not the easy button. Like they, they make not it even close. Easy. They make it sound easy. Like, and I think it's all a numbers game for a lot of the, a lot of the, the agency, um, the heads uh i can i can run as many people through here as i can and i'm gonna get a couple that are gonna make me some money um but they bring on tons of people and i saw even in the time i was there the turnover of agents that started and left but the people that trained me had no clue what they were doing and if i had stepped back and said okay i know more about talking to people than they do i probably would have been a lot more successful but i was trying to learn from somebody that was supposed to be teaching me what to do well, what do you think they do most of them? Most people in sales, it doesn't even matter if it's insurance or, or investing. It could be the person working at Best Buy. It's working on a commission. They literally are, their backs are against the wall. They have an unwritten budget. They have, they don't understand inflows, outflows. They know they got a car payment. They got rent. They got a mortgage, whatever. So they're saying and doing whatever they can in order to make money to support their family or if they're an individual to support themselves. And, and it's a, it's a vicious circle. It's mm -hmm. part of that hamster wheel. And I struggled because of it, because I didn't want to fit into the status quo. But another thing that it, it benefited me is a traditional person in my industry will have, can have a thousand, 2000, 3000 clients. Cause they're always throwing spaghetti at the wall. They're never doing an effective job. They're just selling a product. There's no relationship. So there's no extra, there's no referrals. It might be the odd one, but not a lot of referrals. There's not a lot of consistency in business. They're not teaching the person like what I've, after 21 years, I've been doing this now for 21 years, teaching people how to budget, how to goal set, all the things I talk about in my book. I lived through the school of hard knocks and I teach others so they don't have to live a non-purposeful life like I did, right? The title of my book, How to Live Life on Purpose, Not by Accident. That's real. That book is real and raw about what I went through and some of the processes of what I needed to do. So 
so many people I could do, I make this, I make the same kind of income off of, let's say 10 clients that another person has a hundred. Right. Right. Because my 10 clients are effective relationships. I'm getting invited to birthdays, to weddings, to different events with them. I'm inviting them to stuff. I do. We become friends. All of them. No. Some people don't want that. Some people want press hard three copies. And, you you know, initially I'd take those on those clients that don't even work with anymore. Right. I am the type of person that likes to have uh, the ability to know things about Brian. Brian tells me stuff about family or Brian tells me his, his desires, his trials and tribulations. And the next time Brian and I talk six months, a year, two years later, you know, I got notes on it or I just remember and I'll say, Hey Brian, how's this going on? Right. Yep. What's, what's up, man. And people want to know, they don't care what you know. They want to know how much you know, about. you know, they want to know that you care about them. They don't care about your knowledge until they know that you care. Well, they and want, that's they why want to I continue to be. And they want to know that you know how to find out the knowledge. Like the the willingness to to put time and effort into someone, regardless of whether you're making a sale or not. And the, the, the abilities for them to recognize if I need something from him in this specific capacity, in this specific capacity, he's going to be able to figure it out. Um, nobody knows everything. And uh, I was actually talking this weekend about someone. Uh, I was doing some uh, technical troubleshooting on his solar system with him, uh, his off-grid cabin. And he was having, he had an inverter blow up and um, we were talking back and forth. And that's where the industry I came from was um, kind of mechanical, fix it, um, maintenance guy, and then machine operation. And I put my own solar system in my trailer and so I was just helping him. And he's like, he's like, I know you don't know my controller, but I know you could probably look at a manual and make sense of it enough to help me. Would you do that? And I'm like, absolutely, man. He's a good buddy of mine. We talk to him all, I talk to him all the time. And through the conversation, he's like, you should probably really offer this as a service because you're incredible at reading it and telling me what it means. In my we can life. dumb it down. We can dumb it down. That's what I tell people. I can give and it to I you in layman terms. I don't, and I never claim to, but sure as shit, if you tell me something and I don't know it and it need, and it will fix the problem, I will figure it out. Uh, it might take me a little longer than the guy that went to school to fix it up, or but I will connect the dots and I will tell you what you need to do. Uh, and he's like, you should, you should really think about offering that as a service. And I'm like, huh, maybe I should. It's this, it's that imposter syndrome of, I don't know enough to be a, an expert. Uh, and even when you become an expert, imposter syndrome creeps in, brother. Yep. I feel it. There's some days and I'm going like, why would anybody listen to me? <laughs> why would they want me to go up on stage and speak about, you know, the worst years of my life and talk about budgeting and being fearful of logging onto my bank account for a zero? I'd be happy if it was a zero balance, let alone a negative, you know, hoping it wasn't a negative one. Why would anybody care about what I have to say? It still creeps in. And I've been doing this 21 years. Like, it's not like I just fell off the boat. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty entrenched into what I do. And I'm told I'm pretty good at it. And it's all about relationships. It's all about listening. It's about building that skill. And I know one of the things that I was, I forget what year it was, 2005 or 2006, went to Florida to this finance conference. And I was recognized as, I was 
in the top 10 for all of North America, I was number 10. And on that list of 10, there was three people out of our office, right? That in Edmonton here that were on that list for production and people would ask me questions and say, well, why, how does that work for you? Why are you all, we look at the leaderboards and why are you always the person that has per family and average guys doing about 25 or gals doing 2,500 in commission, you're doing 10, 12,000. How are you doing that? Well, number one, I don't have a time frame. That could take, I might've spent nine months with that person, helping them budget, learning how to do debt consolidation, learning how to goal set, not charging for any of it. Cause I decided when I got licensed, I was not going to do a fee-based service, which I still don't today, you know, for, for people local to my province and, and to British Columbia next door, I'm licensed. I don't do all that stuff for free because I know if I do my job right, it may not be today. It could be three, five, 10 years from now they're going to do business with me in some way, shape or form, or they give me referrals because somebody has to believe in them to help them out of the, the quicksand that they've been sinking down and to get off that hamster wheel to understand that they can succeed. And I tell people, I, you know, come, come talk to this room of a hundred people, 300 people, a thousand people. How do you do it? It always was the same thing. I'm kind, I'm blunt, kind, and I'm very tenacious about how I approach things. I'm a gr- I've learned and work on my listening skills. I make sure that they feel heard that, and I'm present. And I make sure that they know that I'm here for the long haul, whether I make money or not. So it was an investment in them. But really, it was an investment in me too, because nobody ever gave me that investment. And I always wanted me in my life, right? If that makes sense. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think, I think you, you, um, I think you saw the writing on the wall with how you described that. Um, and it would correlate with why does everybody per family at 2,500 when you're at, at, uh, at 10,000 is you're not going to make anybody, any money off people that don't have money. But if you can invest in them and give them tools to succeed and at the end, they remember who gave them those tools. And now they have the liquidity to purchase your product, to, to pay you back, to invest in you. They have the means to do it. You could be the best salesman in the world, but if I got 50 bucks and you want me to buy something for 40, man, you better, uh, you better really sell me. But if I got $1,000 and you're looking for 50 bucks, sure, man. Well, it's you consistency. It's consistency too, though, because I'd sit down with people and find out what their current financial circumstance, go through a budget with them, a detailed budget, right down to haircuts, oil changes, and and they they'd be have more months than money. And I I I teach them about needs and wants, things that I taught my kids when they were growing up. Difference between needs and wants, and understanding. Okay, you want a goal of having a cash-based vacation where you're not on a credit card and paying it off for the next year. You don't want to have Christmas go from year to year on credit card. Well, let's, how would I teach you some things that can help you understand the rules of the money game and understand that if you're spending a dollar and you're only making 80 cents long-term, that's going to cause you a lot of distress, right? right? So let's figure this out. You might be stuck with 80 and a dollar for a while, but I'm going to show you the forest for the trees. You're going to stop doing what I have been going through most of my life and it's called a state of quiet desperation. I'd go to bed at night in quiet desperation. I'd get up in quiet desperation. I'd hide things from my kids. I'd, you know, have that smile on. Cause all of it, you know, and all of a sudden I had them full time. 
they were uh, at full-time custody of them and downturn of the markets in 08. And I was literally suffering and I had to re reinvent myself. I had to think, what did I do for my clients all these years, right? The last six years, what did I do for my clients going on seven years that helped them? Why am I not applying that back to my own life? Right. I had climbed back on the hamster wheel, Brian. It was, you know, it happens. So mm -hmm. realization and re, you know, looking at my life all the time and reevaluating so I don't get caught back on that hamster wheel is so important. So people listening, you have to constantly check yourself. I am a working project till the day I take my last breath. And I'm okay with that because along that journey, I meet great people like you. I ingest new podcasts, new books. I go to different conferences. I'm meeting fabulous people that are stuck on the hamster wheel even that are, you know, seven and eight figure earners can be stuck on a hamster wheel because they're always about the next, <laughs> they're, they're, all, they're all, they're chasing for the next golden goose and they, so they succeed and they don't, they don't celebrate either. Right. Just right. things that I've been, I've been trapped there and I don't want others to be trapped there. So I want to ensure that people realize that there's so many things they can do in life. So fast forward in the finance industry for very for a long time single dad of five kids it, it helped me so that i could still you know be at home with them because all of a sudden now i'm the guy taking them to everything all their extracurricular i'm the guy that has to pick them up at school i'm the guy doing the laundry cooking the food doing 100 percent of it not just you know joint part of it so i literally um ended up the pandemic I was kind of in a slump. I didn't know what was going to go on about three, four weeks before the pandemic lockdown happened. I had joined a group called 365 Driven Society. A buddy of mine, he actually wrote the forward for my book named Tony Watley. He actually has a best-selling book called Side Hustle Millionaire. Teaches people how to start up your side hustle. You can be in a career and still become that entrepreneur. And we became friends. I had met him at... Uh, an event in 2019 called Arte Syndicate, which is run by Ed Milet and Andy Frisella. You may know them, maybe you don't, but um, I joined that syndicate and I've been going to some of their conferences and I, and he was one of the speakers up on stage at one of the events, the second event I went to. And I searched him out at the end of the event and said, man, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to accomplish with my life. And he thought, oh, another guy that says it, but it's not going to do it. And he just nodded his head. He put that in the forward of my book. He still remembers meeting me. And now we're best friends. I'm going to see him pretty soon here at an event in Portugal in July. And uh, he basically challenged me and said, where are you going to be? So this is three weeks in. Where are you going to be at the end of the pandemic? He said that to me and a bunch of people. There was about 30 of us on a video call. Where are you going to be? We don't know if this is going to be a day, a week, a month, a year, a few years. Are you going to be that person at the end of this that's going, still going boo-hoo, woo-hoo? Are you going to be the person saying, hey, I took all this time and I invested in myself. I pivoted. Well, guess what I chose? Tenacious. I'm a, pardon me, I'm a tenacious dude. Tenacity is my friend. I said, well, I'm going to do this. And he, he gave us a challenge. March 1st, he said, we're going to all start doing videos. I've been doing it. This is how I got to be very comfortable on camera because I'd run across the street if there was a camera. I avoided anything like that. Like I tried it, but it will always made me feel uncomfortable. So he says, okay, we're going to do a 30-day challenge. Live videos. Or pardon me, do videos every day. 
Well, the second day, a guy reached out to me and said, hey, your video was recorded that you posted. You got to do live. That's part of the challenge. Well, I never checked with Tony. I started doing them live second day. 837 live videos I did. I never missed a day. And I quit last year on June the 14th after 837 live videos. And I try and I had a running journal. People would talk to me about stuff and I'd grab my phone and I'd do a video on that topic. It could be for, given to me from a client, a friend, something I listened to and, you know, or overheard or whatever. And it taught me how to be comfortable on the camera. And I literally over the next few so in 2020, by the time the summer had come, I had talked to a branding expert that Tony put me in touch with. And I talked to a podcast person and learned how to become a great guest. I went on a bunch of their calls and through courses. I wanted it. I wanted it. So I was going to damn well learn it. Now I have all this time. My business fell off the cliff. Nobody's doing investing. Nobody's buying insurance. Everybody was like... <laughs> Right. So all of a We're sudden, gonna die. why do we need insurance? Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Or the people that were selling insurance were doing it through fear. And I'm not a fear based right. person. I don't I want you to do things based on emotion is always our final, um, you know, lever when it comes to making a decision. So I literally by July of 2020, I had sent in the paperwork for a, to get the trademark for give a heck. I had applied for the trade name, put it as part of my current incorporated company, started getting a professional website developed through somebody that I met through that Arte organization. She was a startup entrepreneur, young girl by the name of Ari. I ended up um, going on some podcasts. And what, you're going to love this story. One of the podcasts I went on was uh, Wake Up With Patty Catter. She has an average of two and a half million listeners per episode. She's been podcasting for 14 years and she has me on as a guest. And we started being friends and she says, you should get a podcast going. I said, I know I've been told and well, what's holding you back? And I give her some excuses. She wouldn't leave me alone. <laughs> she says, I'm going to help you. Here's my production company I use in the States. I'm going to give you a referral. They're going to give you a good deal because they do all my stuff and I'm going to tell them they have to. And oh, she was just tenacious, greatly. And we're still good friends. We message pretty much every few days. There's some sort of comment either on our post and she'll say, hey, or she'll privately message me, hey, how is it doing, Dwight? She ended up, as a side note, creating an arm of her own business that helps people set up and create um, podcasts because of our relationship. And I did some testimonial videos for her for it etc cetera, etc cetera. but ended up starting a podcast and meanwhile september of 2020 i went to tony watley's first event for the 365 driven society that's what his, his books right and he calls event his events aren't retreats or advances because we don't retreat we only advance i like it and i, I like it. it was a bugger of a time to get to that event because of all the lockdowns in canada <laughs> i won't even get into how long it took me to get there i missed the first part of the event because I ended up having to redirect all my flights, fly into Vegas and then fly from Vegas to Utah to the Narrows to where it was being held. And we literally, I met a guy there. One of the speakers was a guy that helps people write books. Guess what? I got home. I caught a hold of him. And five months later, I had written a book, had a, had, had him help me, and, and we self-produced it through... Uh, Amazon, it became an Amazon bestseller in under three hours, right? And all it is is 150 pages of 
this is me. This is my origin. This is what I've gone through. Some of the things that I've talked to you about, stories. This is where I am. And right up to where me introducing and starting my podcast, which was November of 2020. November the 5th was my first podcast. Now I'm 147 episodes in, in the top 5%, listened to in 42 different countries because I'm tenacious. I don't care if there's one person listening. I don't care if there's a thousand people listening. I stay away from the analytics. I, I do look once in a while because I need to for specific reasons. But yeah, I just, so, so everybody that sat back and sucked their thumb, I, cr I created a new trademark. I created a new brand. I created, uh, I went to a conference where um, I joined a mastermind, another mastermind besides Tony's 365, where speakers, authors, and coaches. And a friend of mine runs that. And because I wanted to take my captive speaking training you know, going in front of finance people, teaching them about this strategy or that strategy. And they're not, they're captive because they, they're there for the conference or in credits or they're there just to be there. They're not necessarily coming because it's Dwight. So right. I've been working on my speaking business. I've got speaking reels created from where I've spoken. I got them up on my website. I've done all this stuff over the last few years because I knew that I didn't want to be that finance person again that went through the crash when I started in 2002, that was the bubble, the crash right. of the the, the uh, tech bubble. Then it went. Then I went through it again in 2008 and 2014. Things happened. People didn't really. And there's been all these nuances. This roller coaster. And the pandemic taught me that I need to have more side income. I need to have more income. That when one part of my life is down, the others are picking it up. But I also understand it's a three to five year game because being an entrepreneur is a game there is rules of the money game and there's rules of being an entrepreneur of not quitting and being tenacious and enjoying the journey and there's personal development like it ain't easy but it isn't hard you just got to be tenacious it's it's easy but it's not simple exactly so yeah i've i've had i've had quite the journey i keep on keeping on and my brand is growing um, and finally it's starting to come back where I've actually my MMA, my money making, uh, uh, you know, activity, which is my finance insurance business is finally starting to come back. People are starting to do things again, which, you know, I don't have any regrets of getting up when everybody was afraid, you know, seven, eight weeks, I didn't see anybody in that period of time. I had done all this stuff. I'd get up and I'd stay up late at night and because I had a goal, I didn't want to be stuck. I didn't want to be, I kept on hearing Tony's voice in my head. Where are you going to be at the end of this? Where are you going to be? Right. Yep. And every time there, you know, people live through the media, their associations suck in life. I, I coach people on uh, different principles of how to avoid having bad days. I only have bad moments. This is my fifth year now of, fighting but ever saying i have a bad day i have bad moments and i know how to deal with them and i coach people on their associations to what they watch what they listen to who they hang out with isn't the only association what they associate with nutrition what they associate with sleep and i'm not an expert at all of it this is things that i've learned through the school of hard knocks and even in the last couple of years the amazing guests i've had on from sleep back i've had sleep back experts on i've had people on that are empath coaches i've had people on that are yogis i've had give a heck that's how you get on my show 
that's if you're a person that's gone through it, you got a great origin, even if it's an origin that you were a spoon fed silver spoon baby, your origin still created to what you are today. And I want to share that with the world. If you're serving people through your mission, right through your entrepreneurship, through your business. And I learned so much. I learned lots being a guest. I learned lots hosting and I just, you know what? Life's in session. This isn't a dress rehearsal, buddy. I'm going to keep on keeping on. And yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a hell of a ride. I, I hear you. You saying, um, so the way my show set up is I do a morning show every day, uh, Monday through Friday for like an hour. It's just a live show while I drink my coffee. And then I do interviews at night. And I always try to kind of stay lots. The lots project stands for living outside the system. So we got kind of down the rabbit hole of, you know, the healthcare system is horseshit. They're lying to us. The food system is horseshit. They're lying to us. All of it and is. I got to the point where I was just like, it's all, it's all a game. It's all, we're all being uh, put into the machine. Some of us are jumping out and doing our own thing. Uh, but I started pulling all these strings. Well, I got pretty anti-government, anarchist, like leave me alone, self-sufficiency. And I tried to focus my show on it. But I really realized that living outside the system is just my life. And my life is learning about other people's lives and what they're doing and learning about um, anybody. They don't have to be an anarchist. They don't have to be a, a, a homesteader that's off in the wilderness by themselves. Dwight Heck is living outside the norm. Um, he's gone his own path. He's figured it out different than what he's been. He was taught, um, by the public. Luckily you had your father that kind of, that instilled things in you that the general public normally doesn't. And you're helping people to realize it doesn't have to be the way they, they said it had to be. Um, you're, you're inspiring people to do other things. And when I started interviewing people that weren't in that pigeonhole in that, like that, um, anti-establishment pigeonhole you really see everybody has a little bit of it inside them in one way or another and if you get them to talk about it they really realize it um how impactful it is in their life to just step out a little bit you ignite passion right it ignites a passion in people uh, and it, the, the greatest thing is when I'm talking to somebody that's got their monotone and they don't have energy and we're discussing things. And it doesn't even have to be finance because I do life coaching uh, outside of it. And, you know, it, you can see that light bulb moment. You can see that spark ignite in their eyes and because they didn't realize they had passion. They never thought it was possible to live a purposeful life because they thought that they were on their own. Yeah. You know, and you're not on your own. You really aren't. All you have to do is you have to understand that you have to be the willing. You're the willing. I'm the willing. I was narrow minded for certain things at one point in time in my life. And I still can be today. I'd be lying if I said I'm not. And I have to constantly reevaluate, reframe what I'm doing and how I look at things. Just like you were saying, you know, you once you started going outside the anarchists, things looked a little bit different. And I get people, which I call, that's another thing I talk about in my book, the committee of they. They always <laughs> think they know my life better than I do. They always think they know my career, how to be a parent. 
the things I got told as a single dad, you need to be with somebody else to raise those kids. They need a woman in their life and this and this and that, blah, 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 blah. Oh, you need to do this with your, with your, with your finance business. Just, you need to do this with your podcast. You need to do this with your book. Comedia, they shove it up your, anyway, <laughs> you know, bottom line, you know what? We only know what's best for us when we open our minds up to having somebody educate us, whether it's through a book, a podcast, whether you have mentorship, a good coach that'll help steer your course, just like a plane, a jet plane as a co-pilot that is constantly correcting the course, a degree out, they're out about 60 miles. I coach people and I mentor them and I have the same. Coaches and mentors should have coaches and mentors themselves because They'll tell me that I'm full of garbage. They'll tell me I'm full of crap. They'll say, what the hell are you talking about, Dwight? Like, really? Right? And then they, we can have a challenge, discussion. They challenge you to express yourself, though. And yeah, and it actually... doesn't mean that they're right. It just makes right. us think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You need I to like be challenged. You need to be challenged on. Um, and we, we kind of went back to that imposter syndrome, but that, that assumed authority, um, that assumed knowledge. I, I want people that are better than me challenging my understanding of what I'm claiming I understand. So I make sure I actually know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> well, that doesn't even mean that they're, uh, you know, better than me. I look at people and I'll say that they look like a deer caught in a headlights, depending on where I'm in coaching, whether it's on their lifestyle or it's on their finances, insurance, just their goal setting. And they'll look confused and I'll go, what's going on? You're so much smarter than me. You'll, I'll never ever do this. You know what? Here's here's you. And for those listening, I'm up my finger up. I'm this part of the journey. You're this part. So the person's about, you know, on the on the journey of life, a few years behind, a few months behind. I've just gone through the school of hard knocks, and I'm a little bit farther in the journey, which makes it so that I can have empathy for them and give them advice so that maybe they don't have to take. There, maybe they. It, it took me four years, five years to get to this point. I can collapse time frames and do it for them in a year or six, you know, six months, whatever. That's what coaching does: is help you stay focused. You still have to be accountable to. I'm never accountable to my coaches. I'm accountable to me. They correct me, course correct me, so that I can be accountable to myself. Now, if you, if I make a promise to them that I'm going to complete something before our next meeting in a couple of weeks. That is a still accountability to me doing it. Now, it's uncomfortable to tell the group, oh, Dwight, you said you were going to do this, this, and that. Oh, yeah, no, that's it, it, you start getting in that excuse-itis out of the way, brother, right? right? Don't we live in a world of full of excuses? And, you know, you can have excuses or success. You can't have both, right? Yep. Yep. I want success, and I know that it's going to be painful for this. Like, I'm in my 50s, and I started all this new journey I hated being in the camera. I had 837 videos. Now I have a successful podcast. I wrote a book and I didn't want to, I'm introverted. People go, no, you're not. Yeah, I am. I'm only extroverted when I need to be. When I need to I, be. <laughs> I'd rather be, I'd rather be out at the lake. I'd rather be out in my backyard. I'd rather be in my house and hang out with a crowd of people. I only can handle being at a crowd of people for a few hours. Like when I go to Oilers, Edmonton Oilers hockey game, and, you know, like after three, three and a half hours, I come home and I'm drained. I'm just like, <laughs> right. I'm extroverted because it's, it's, it's something that I need to be in order to live a purposeful life to ensure I can serve others. Right. Right. Dwight, 
what do you got going on? I got, I've, I've had you for over an hour here and um, I want to get you, give you an opportunity to kind of lay out where people can find you, what you got going on. You've mentioned your book a couple of times, um, speaking events, podcasts, lay it out there where people can find you. And then uh, I like to give uh, guests an opportunity to just kind of close on their own thoughts and maybe leave the guest, the audience with something. Um, take the floor, man. Sure. Let, uh, sure. let people know what you got going on. Okay. Um, well, I'm currently continuing to develop my brand, um, working with companies to do, you can go and look on all social media. Um, you can find me at give a heck on Instagram. You can find me, you just Google my name. If you want to f- find out things about me, I'm just being real. The easiest way though, for you to find me, cause it has all the social media links at the bottom is to go to giveaheck.com. It is that simple. Giveaheck.com. It's a portal design system. You can click on the book icon. It'll take you to dwightheck.com. And you'll have the opportunity, if you pay the shipping and handling, you'll get my book for free. And you can book a one-hour free consultation with me, which is worth quite a bit considering what I do for people. But I want to help more people. I want to change more lives. It, it fulfills me. It gives me purpose. It continues to make my purpose more concrete. So giveaheck.com. You can click on the podcast button and you'll see you'll you'll see show notes and all the shows you can go and check out. You'll see my speaker button. You can go in there and watch my abbreviated reel that I had a company produce. You can watch one of the full-time speeches that I did. That's 14 minutes and talks about the worst year of my life, which was 2008 and the fall of the crash of the, of the markets. And I got full-time custody. My kids that year, it was like in 14 minutes, I, I share a lot in that speech on that stage right, that they videoed for me. Um, yeah. It's a great, and you can find out about fi- my financial education and what I do for people and how I work through. So even if you're not in Canada, I may not be able to sell you a product or a service The thing I can do, though, is I can coach you on the life side of life and learning how to budget. I can do it all over Zoom calls. I've had calls with people in the UK, Australia. I've helped people in the US. I've been test marketing it and not charging anybody the last couple of years for it just to make sure that I could, you know, it's that imposter syndrome, Brian, right? I had to fight past that imposter syndrome, and I still do. And literally, yeah, it's the best place to go is go to giveaheck.com. Um, my book again, it's called, uh, I don't know. Do you, do you, uh, do people watch your show or do you just do have oh, just both. the audio? Both. Okay. I'll, well, I'll have so you is, across. this, this is my book for those watching give a heck how to live life on purpose, not by accident. Right. Um, very easy read. It's like 150 some pages takes the average reader about two and a half, three hours. I'm getting it developed right now. So, what's going on was well, it'll be on audible within the next, I figure probably sometime in July. Um, I have a company I hired the guy that owns the publishing company, him and I have become really solid friends. I'm that type of person. I love people. And I want to, I want to connect. I like networking, no like, and trust. And he's got another arm of his business that he started up. And I was one of his first uh, clients and they're working with, they're doing videos for me and they're using AI if you ever go and check any of the social media and you watch some of these videos that are about a minute, minute and a half long, and they, they talk about, you know, how to do, you know, seven habits, one of the current ones that's out, that voice is done by AI. Yeah. They sampled my voice numerous times and they did, it, it's, it's pretty darn close. 
So we're working on stuff like that. We're working on um, a workshop system that I've been using for 20 years to teach people is five workshops. We're looking at putting that into webinar format. I got that so that I can serve and help more people. And there's going to be a bunch of that. It's going to be all free tools for people to learn. Right. And at the end of all of that, you'll always get to book a call with me for an hour. Right. Just to touch base. Right. I'm not going to charge you just because the face, you know, here, Brian, give me $500. We're going to talk for one hour. And at the end of it, if you don't like me and I don't like you, I'm still keeping your 500 bucks. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I always, I always throw that. I have a 30 minute uh, free sign up on my website, sign up. And we could talk about anything. We could talk about the weather if you want, but if you're interested in telling me about what you got going on, or if you're stuck on a project, um, Let's talk about it. And if I feel like I can help you, I'll, I'll shoot you a quote to, to figure it out. Because it, oh, it might be an hour. It might be, you know, five days worth of work. So let's just see what you got going on. I agree. That's the best way to do it is just. And, and then there's times where that hour call, depending on how busy my Calendly is, because I have numerous links for different things, for clients, for my podcast, for, you know, coffee with Dwight for 15 minutes and stuff like that, that I'll spend two hours with somebody right. just because we connect. Energy transference can happen through video. I feel connected to you. It doesn't matter that we're in two different countries, and, you know, thousands of miles away. It don't matter. What matters is that we are present in this conversation. The energy is there. And sometimes I get on a call with somebody and it's, or I'll have more than one call with them. And depending on their circumstances, I need to make money to survive. I'm, you know, working and saving for retirement, just like everybody. But some people are, you know, one of the things I talked about is that, you know, you mentioned it as well. Other people doing 2,500, I was doing 10,000. Well, the thing is, is that based on my numbers, for every 10 people I'd see, three people would do business immediately. I'd make money. The other seven, no business. Maybe the odd referral long-term game there. So people listening, don't think that I, I, I help people. I give until it hurts. I probably should charge people more, <laughs> more often than I do when it comes to outside of my finance business. Um, because again, people that live in my province or the province beside, I do it for free because there's an, you know, eventually there's business usually somewhere and I make a commission, but outside of that, as I develop this program and continue to work on it, People that live outside these two provinces, I've been having calls with people and I probably should charge, start charging some of them. And I'm getting in trouble from my mentors saying, you know what, you got to stop giving it away. But guess what? One of the last things you that I'll end this with, you said, what message would I give people? Two things, right? Not just one. Two things that I would tell my younger self and I continually teach younger people, taught my kids it. One, be a good listener. Because the skill of listening is is never intentional. It's not taught to us in school. You need to learn how to listen to people so that you're present, like I talked about earlier in, in this uh, conversation. And number two, be kind. You need to be kind to everybody you meet because you don't know where their life is at at that moment. You don't know what's going on behind the facade of their life. If you were to open the door of their life and look inside, it would scare you what people are going through. And you don't need to compound their problems by being a jerk. Right. I don't care who you are. I'd rather see you just nod your head and practice the ability to walk away, right? 
walk away instead of opening your mouth and removing all doubt, which is my definition of, you know, better to be thought an idiot than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Right. So that's basically what I do is be kind to people. Right. Even the clerk at the store, when you go in and buy something at the gas station or the grocery store, compliment people with sincerity and genuine, right? Notice something about them. That could be the one thing that you say to them that could make their day. There's documented cases where people have said that they were going to commit suicide and somebody was kind to them and they decided not to. Maybe you're that person. I make it a point if I see a name tag on someone in in a business, I call them by their name. And it's just something I did a long time ago. That's awesome. And I just call them by their name. And it, the, the the reactions you get, uh, people look up at you like, do I know you? They're like, no, dude, you're, it's on your chest. <laughs> I've had that happen too now but that people, I think about it. People respond to their name and they they give you the attention. And when you're a clerk at a gas station or a, at a grocery store, you're just waiting for the next person. When somebody says, hey, Dwight, how's it going today? You're like, Wait, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's connection. People want to know that they matter to other people. And, you know, like I, I've said, my kids used to, when they were really young, Ryan, it was kind of funny. We went into a store and I and there was a lady in there. And it was a progression of going to a few different stores that day. One of them, I was telling the lady that she had, I really like your necklace. That's really nice, Right. Oh, thank you. And big smile and paid for, did the transaction and left. And then another one, I, a guy was wearing a, a shirt and a tie. Hey, man. Hey, brother, I really like your tie. And the kids asked me later on in that day, one or two of them asked me, Dad, why do you do that? You know, what are you basically, what are you trying to accomplish? Nothing. Being kind, letting people know that they matter that somebody notices them in, in the sea of their life, that they're not, that they are unique, that they have something that I notice the quality that is worth mentioning. And I said, if you develop that skill, you will always attract more in your life. Like tracks, like attracts like. So would you like people doing that to you? You work, you know, some of them are teenagers. You work at this retail store, you work here, you do this, you do that. You know, one of them worked at Home Depot. Is everybody kind to you when you work, you're working in customer service, Jessica? No. Wouldn't it be nice if they could just be kind? Would would there be a bigger gray area when they're returning stuff that's kind of on the if side? If they're jerks, what is does being a jerk get you more or get you less? She says, well, most often it would get a supervisor and they deal with it and this and that. If they were just been kind, I would have just signed off on things, right? Be kind. People want to know that they exist, right? Just like, you know, Brian, good for you having this show. You're recognizing other people, Right. You're putting other people above yourself on a pedestal so that you can serve your listeners. Even the listeners that are brand new to this show listening today, there could be brand new listeners you don't even know, right? You're serving humankind by being kindness, being present, being a great listener. So I appreciate, I appreciate it. it I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, hey, it's been a great chat, man. I, I definitely encourage all my followers and listener followers. I, I say followers and I always feel like I'm a cult leader or something. All my, <laughs> all my listeners. Do you, uh, do you like offer that. Kool-Aid? Do you offer Kool-Aid? That's, <laughs> that's the only thing I want to know. <laughs> anyway, I definitely encourage them to check out the website. I'll have it in the video notes. I'll have it in the audio notes. 
Uh, man, what a great conversation. What a, what a great life. I, I appreciate all the tenacity. Um, there's that word again that, that you show uh, through everything. And I think that's very inspirational. I think you're doing yeoman's work, helping people uh, figure their stuff out to where they can be in a better position in life. And congratulations on starting all the stuff up, um, the book, the podcast, the brand. Phenomenal, man. It's it's just it's it's inspiring to me to meet and talk to people like you. So I appreciate you coming on. And uh, if you hang out for a second, I'm going to drop you off here and uh, and close things sure. up and I'll chat with you for a second. Sounds great, brother. All right. Thanks, thanks for, for being on. on. I pre- yeah, I appreciate you. Thank all right. That was Dwight Heck. What a great conversation. I appreciate him coming on for sure. Uh, be sure to check out that website. It is in the in the video notes. And uh, if I grab some other socials, I'll drop them down in there. Uh, this has been another edition of Lots to Talk About. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with others. You can find it on thelotsproject.com or on Noster, Telegram, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Rumble, and Instagram. If you listen on, if you, be sure to listen on one of your favorite podcasts, 2.0, value for value podcast players like Podverse or Fountain.fm. Make it a great night, guys, and uh, we'll catch up with you in the morning.